0: What I always advise people is start small and then build your track record and then work your way up. So it gets challenging sometimes when people go in and the project is a bit too large and they're stretching and those are always the most challenging situations.
1: Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money, and also if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Adam Finkel. How you doing,
0: Adam? I'm well. How are you?
1: I'm doing well and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Adam. He's the founding partner and the principal at Tower Capital. Since 2015, the firm's been involved in over $500 million in successful debt and equity placements on behalf of investors across all major asset classes based in Phoenix, Arizona. With that being said, Adam, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Absolutely. So I grew up in Boston. I went to Arizona State University for school. That's how I ended up out in Phoenix while i was in college i didn't really know what i wanted to do and i knew a couple of guys older than me that were in commercial real estate the market was pretty good at the time this was 2003 2004 and i decided to check it out so i went got my real estate license got an internship going into my senior year of college was working for a boutique full service commercial real estate firm based in scottsdale arizona there i was representing landlords and tenants with their office leasing, um, doing some office, industrial, retail, a lot of smaller deals, but a lot of transactions and a lot of great experience, understanding what motivates tenants and landlords and just how commercial real estate operates in general, getting exposed to, to some different asset types. And then I joined up with a larger regional tenant rep firm called Travers Realty Corporation based out of L.A., They've since been acquired by Cressa, and when I was out in L.A., I was only on the tenant side. I was representing a lot of law firms in San Fernando Valley, a lot of surgery centers in the Beverly Hills area, and then a lot of creative companies in the West L.A. and Hollywood area. Well, I started to get burnt out on tenant rep leasing, to be honest, and I segued back to Phoenix and found myself a position over at Johnson Capital where I was a commercial mortgage banker, I had known the partner that I was working with over there for many, many years, a guy named Neil Cherney. He was president of our Central Arizona CCIM chapter, and he really mentored me and taught me the skills in underwriting, valuating commercial properties. And I was financing mostly apartments while I was at Johnson Capital, and then a large publicly traded company out of Bethesda, Maryland called Walker and Dunlap, who specializes in Fannie, Freddie, and HUD loans for multifamily properties. They acquired Johnson Capital at the end of 2014. And that's when really the stars aligned for me to start my own structured finance firm that we named Power Capital. And along with my best friend, Kyle McDonough, who I met at ASU and we'd always wanted to do something together. He was on the private money lending side and we joined forces and created Tower Capital. And that's what I'm doing today. So Tower Capital is a boutique commercial real estate structured finance firm based in Phoenix. We finance a wide variety of different types of assets, whether it's multifamily office, retail, industrial, and from stable properties, to transitional properties, ground-up developments, we finance large master plan communities, doing deals pretty much all over the country, but our footprint is mostly west of the Mississippi. I would call ourselves a regional firm, and we let our clients take us to different markets.
1: So I want to talk a lot about Tower Capital and what you are doing, but just to ask a follow-up question or two about your tenant rep leasing, experiences. You were representing tenants like law firms and surgery centers. What are some tips that you have for tenants when negotiating leases with landlords?
0: Well, I think that when negotiating a lease, you really need to figure out what is most important to you. That may be getting the lowest rent. That may be getting the right build out that you want. That may be having flexibility with having options to expand or get out of your lease early. So I think sometimes what people try to do is they make a mistake of over-negotiating and not picking out what's most important to them. So what I would say is find out what's most important to you and then really focus on those areas because it's always a give and take. So you can get a little here, but you might have to give a little someplace else.
1: Mm, know what you want going into it, where your priorities are, and then, you know, where you can give a little bit on the other side as regards to those points. You mentioned rent, flexibility, build out. Is that another name for that? Is it tenant improvement, TI? Any other major categories to consider?
0: In what regard?
1: Well, just negotiating points. Like, hey, I want to know what's important to me, so here are some things to consider, and then I'm going to pick and choose in order of priority which ones are most important. You mentioned three of them. Are there any other major categories to consider?
0: Well, I'll tell you one thing. One of the negotiating tricks that we used very often was extending the lease term. By committing a longer term to the landlord, they can justify quite often providing additional TI dollars, maybe additional free rent that sort of thing. So sometimes people will go in and maybe they're only thinking about doing a three-year lease, but if you can do a five-year lease, then you're typically going to get a lot more out of the landlord. So that was something that we utilized quite often if the tenant had the ability to stay in the space longer.
1: And from a landlord's perspective, is it the same thing? Know what's important to you or are there any other nuances to it?
0: Well, I think for landlords, they're always trying to create as much stability in their properties as possible. So typically, unless they believe that we're in a situation where rents are going to be increasing at a very positive clip at a fast rate, they may want shorter term leases so that as the tenants roll, they can replace them with higher paying tenants. However, quite often the landlords really want stability. So they're pushing for longer terms. So. That's really what I saw. And again, it comes down to just basic skills of negotiating, of knowing what's most important to you and where you can give a little to get a little.
1: Let's talk about Tower Capital. How do you all make money?
0: We make money when we successfully facilitate a loan funding. And we get paid by the borrower out of escrow upon closing of the loan, typically anywhere from half a percent to 2% of the gross loan amount. And that's how we get paid. Pretty simple, pretty standard.
1: What's a typical client who comes to you? Who are they? I'm not looking for names, but just generally who are they and what's their scenario or situation where they then come to you and you offer the solution?
0: Absolutely. So our typical client is an experienced high net worth investor, whether they're a private investor or they may be part of a company They have experience, they generally have several properties under their belt, and they're looking to go out and either refinance or acquire additional assets. Generally, our clients are based on the West Coast, many being located here in Phoenix. We have a lot of clients from Arizona, a lot of clients from California, and also Canada, Toronto, Vancouver. Arizona is a very desirable place for investment. Because of the warm weather, the population growth, we've really expanded our economy out here since the downturn. I believe that Phoenix is supposed to have the highest rent growth out of any other market for the next five years. I think that they're predicting 5 to 6% rent growth. So it's a very strong market where a lot of people want to be. So we seem to draw a lot from folks from the West Coast and Canada where it's gotten very expensive and cap rates are very low. And people can still get more bang for their buck. I don't know if we're considered a secondary or primary. I think we've been considered a secondary kind of easing into primary. But a lot of the folks from the primary markets are chasing yield and seeking higher yield in secondary and more tertiary markets where the cap rates are higher.
1: And I see on your website that you have services that provide preferred and joint venture equity. Can you elaborate on that?
0: Sure. So being a structured finance firm, we are able to capitalize the entire stack. So that's going to include a debt piece and an equity piece. So typically on larger projects, we will assist our clients where we're basically going out to one institutional equity source and we're marrying them together and introducing them to our client. And whether that's general partner or a limited partner situation or a preferred equity situation. So there's a lot of ways to structure the deals. And typically you're going to have the senior debt and there could be a mezzanine financing piece or B note, and then you have your different equity layers. So it can get very complex when you're really trying to push either loan to value or loan to cost and there's different types of capital sources that we can mix and match to find the best structure that's going to be most in line with our clients' objectives.
1: Can you tell us a story of a project that you've worked on that was a complicated structure and just walk us through it a little bit?
0: Sure. We recently financed a 212-unit ground-up horizontal multifamily property, otherwise known as single family for rent in the northern Phoenix submarket of Deer Valley. That was about a $52 million total project cost. We brought in a large national bank to come in for the first 65%. So it was a 65% loan to cost loan. Then we brought in a private equity group to come in with an additional 20% preferred equity piece. And then we also brought in a general partner as well. So really going up the entire cap stack from the debt all the way to the equity.
1: And for anyone who's not familiar with loan to cost versus loan to value, and why you use loan to cost versus loan to value, can you elaborate?
0: Well, loan-to-value is typically going to come in when you're just buying an asset. Usually, it's a stable asset. You're not doing any rehab or limited rehab. Where loan-to-cost really comes in is on a construction project or a heavy rehab project where the loan is based upon the cost, not necessarily the value, but you will have different parameters. Like they may say, the loan amount isn't going to be more than... 80% of cost and more than 70% of stabilized value. So the lenders are always going to want to know that they're not over-levering and that the borrower will be able to either sell or refinance them out when the project is complete and the lender will be made whole. So that's why they set those limitations for loan to cost as well as loan to value.
1: Then the second piece you mentioned, you brought in 20% preferred equity piece for anyone who's not familiar with preferred equity, will you elaborate on what that is?
0: So preferred equity can be used in place of mezzanine debt or a subordinate or junior note to the senior loan. So what that basically means is you have your senior loan or your first loan, and then people, if they want to go higher up on the cap stack, quite often the senior lender will not allow a subordinate lien or another lien against the property. So that. Financing has to be structured as equity or what we call preferred equity, where typically the equity provider is receiving a preferred rate of return, call it 8% or 10% or 12%. They're going to get that money first before the sponsor gets any of their money. And then they may or may not have some back-end participation. Typically, most of the deals that we do, it's really almost structured as debt. Can be paid current or at the end. And there's really not typically a huge amount of back end participation with the preferred. It's really just meant to be a secondary debt piece where there's just no lien and they're going to get a set amount of yield. And that's how it works.
1: And then you mentioned that you brought in a general partner. I was under the impression you all were brought into the deal that there was a general partner in place. So is this partnering up with the current general partner that you brought in?
0: Yeah, so it was a co-GP that was able to provide a balance sheet that would qualify for the senior loan amount. So when someone's getting a loan on a commercial property, typically whoever's signing on the guarantees or the non-recourse carve-outs still needs to meet a minimum net worth equal to the loan amount. So sometimes when developers are out there and they're trying to build a large project, they don't always have the balance sheet on their own. So they need to partner and bring someone in that can provide that additional support for the financing.
1: So typically it's net worth is equal to loan amount. What about liquidity?
0: Liquidity is typically going to be minimum liquidity, 10% of the loan amount after the down payment. So the lenders want to know that the borrower isn't putting every last penny into the property. And then if something goes wrong, they need to replace the roof, An air conditioning goes out, that the borrower has the funds there to complete those projects as and needed.
1: You said, you said minimum 10% of loan after down payment what have you seen it go up to for that requirement?
0: It's really kind of a case-by-case. Case. Typically on construction deals, the lenders want to see additional liquidity. That could be 20 or 30%. It's really kind of all over the place in case-by-case. Case.
1: And what are the main variables that that's dependent on? Is it new construction or are there other things besides that?
0: It's going to be dependent upon the borrower's experience, the property, where it's located, and really just the lender's overall comfort with the project in total and the borrower. So if the borrower has a BK or credit issues, the lender may require some additional liquidity.
1: Based on your experience, when you bring in a co-GP into a deal who is a balance sheet person, what percent of the general partnership do they typically get for that?
0: It's really a case-by-case, since I believe they were pretty much 50-50 partners. So it just really depends on the co-GP's involvement and what they're doing. Not only in this instance were they providing a balance sheet, but they were also providing a lot of back-end office support as well. So it just really depends on their involvement and how much the sponsor needs them, I suppose.
1: What's been the most challenging project that you've worked on in your career?
0: I think in general, construction along with equity, equity raising is the most challenging. I can't point out one project in particular, but as far as the equity goes, there's a lot of pieces that have to be put into place to meet the capital provider's box. So if the sponsor doesn't have experience in this particular asset class, like say, they want to go out and they want to do an apartment project, but they have all of their experiences in retail, or if they worked for a company where they were involved in commercial real estate, but they weren't actually the general partner or the key principal, the vintage of the property can make it challenging as well. You know, Phoenix, when we're capitalizing a lot of these value add apartments where maybe they were built in the seventies or eighties, the equity people, they don't want to see eight foot ceilings. They want to see 10 foot ceilings or higher. So that can be challenging if you don't have an experienced sponsor. Sometimes people try to bite off more than they can chew. And what I always advise people is start small and then build your track record and then work your way up. So it gets challenging sometimes when people go in and the project is a bit too large and they're stretching. And those are always the most challenging situations.
1: Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: My best advice would be to really kind of what I just said start small, make your mistakes on a smaller deal, bring in people that can help you, that have experience operating that particular type of asset, and really take the time to learn the operations and then really just build your track record. And that's going to make it a lot easier for you to find capital partners, whether it's debt or equity.
1: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right, then let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at com forward slash show. That's dwellyn com forward slash show. Okay. Best ever resource you read on an ongoing basis to keep you sharp on the industry?
0: Wall Street Journal and Globestreet.com. Best
1: ever book you've recently read?
0: Anything by Malcolm Gladwell.
1: Does he have a book out recently? I was reading him six, seven years ago, but I kind of lost track of his stuff.
0: The last one I read was David and Goliath. I'm not sure if he's come out with anything recently. I know he's got a podcast now. Yeah,
1: I know he's got a podcast too. Okay, cool. Just wondering. Looks like Talking to Strangers is the latest on sale September the 10th, so it's it's out. Talking. There we go. There you go, Malcolm. You're reading material for me. (laughs) What's a mistake you've made on a transaction?
0: Getting too aggressive in my underwriting assumptions.
1: Will you elaborate on what assumptions were more aggressive and now you've reined it in?
0: I would say probably trying to push rents or the other thing would be when looking at a rehab deal, kind of knowing how much to really put into the property. That's going to get you the most value and not over-improving for the tenant base that you're trying to attract.
1: Best ever way you'd like to give back to the community.
0: I do a lot of charity work within the community, fundraisers. I'm always trying to get involved in different things, especially anything with kids. We've done stuff with Boys and Girls Club. We've done a lot of things locally here in town to support various types of organizations. How
1: can the best ever listeners learn more about your company?
0: I would say go to our website, www.towercapllc.com. And anyone can feel free to email me directly at adam at com.
1: Well, Adam, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for walking us through the 212 unit development deal, the capital stack, and the nuances of the capital stack, and talking about your experience as a tenant rep leasing professional, and then some tips for anyone who is in the process or will be in the process of negotiating either with tenants or with a landlord during whenever they're securing or leasing a property. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you
0: again soon. Thanks, Joe. You too. Have a good one.
1: Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantas discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellin.com forward slash show. That's dwellyn forward slash show. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference. BEC 20com